Okay, the, um, the number of uh, participants logging on seems to have stabilized at uh, almost 200. So we'll get started. Welcome to the uh, 186 uh, uh, people who have joined us today. Uh, my name is Michael Sony. I am the director of the Fairbanks Center for Chinese Studies at Harvard University. Uh, and uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome uh, all of you uh, and my colleague, uh, Professor Minier to speak to us today about her research. Uh, Professor Ye is, uh, will speak for about 35 or 40 minutes, and then we will move to a moderated Q&A. Um, please uh, submit your questions using the Q&A function at the lower half of your screen. Um, we will try to get to all of your questions uh, with close to 200 participants. It's highly likely that we will not get to your questions. Uh, one of the advantages of um, uh, Zoom in this difficult time, that there are still some advantages, is that uh, the questions are more, a little bit more easy to moderate. And so I may organize the questions in, in ways that, that seem to make sense in light of Professor Ye's uh, answers. So don't be alarmed if uh, you've posed a question that hasn't been, been asked, uh, uh, and, and then I don't ask it right away. Um, we are working hard at the Fairbanks Center to maintain um, uh, programming, both uh, COVID-related and not COVID-related. There's clearly enormous demand for um, information about uh, all things related to China, about uh, uh, the U.S.-China relationship, uh, and indeed about how the current pandemic is affecting uh, both uh, uh, Chinese society and the larger global context. And so we've been working very hard at the Fairbanks Center to provide uh, as much programming as possible. Uh, I want to, first of all, thank uh, my great colleagues at the Fairbanks Center, uh, Mark Grady, uh, Nick Drake, and the rest of the Fairbanks Center team for putting together today's event and also briefly mention two upcoming events. Uh, on uh, June 2nd, we will have a uh, session moderated by Winnie Yip from the Chan School of Public Health uh, in conversation with Zhuang uh, Renxiang, Renxiang Zhuang, the uh, Deputy Director General of the Center for Disease Control in Taiwan. Uh, uh, as many of you will know, Taiwan's done a remarkable job at dealing with, uh, with, um, uh, with, uh, with, with COVID. Uh, and we'll hear from him and perhaps one other uh, 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 scholar from Taiwan uh, on the lessons that can be learned. That is at June 2nd. We are still working on the technical details because uh, Zoom is not uh, permitted for use uh, by officials of the Taiwanese government, uh, but we will have an update on the website as to the specific time and the technical issues uh, very shortly. Uh, in the middle of June, uh, second and third week of June, together with the Davis Center, the Fairbanks Center will be hosting a, a couple of global uh, webinars uh, featuring experts from around the world speaking about both the economic and the public health aspects of COVID with particular reference to China and uh, Russia and Eastern Europe. Uh, the details of those uh, will be up again as soon as possible. So please continue to join our events. Uh, these are, uh, I feel like I've said this now so many times, but it's still true. These are, these are difficult times. Uh, there are times when uh, it's important to hear authoritative scholarship and also I think important times for us to gather as a community uh, uh, in virtually, if not in person. So I hope to see you uh, 
at, uh, at some of our events going forward over the summer. Uh, let me now jump right to uh, today's uh, presentation. Um, professor Minier is an Associate Professor of International Relations at the Party School of Global Studies at Boston University. Uh, under normal circumstances, of course, it would be customary for me at this point to make some deprecatory remarks about our about about the university across the river but since we're all online I'll just say how wonderful it is to have colleagues from all over the Boston area uh, like Professor Ye participating in Fairbanks Center uh, activities uh, she's been a very active uh, member of our community and we're very grateful for that her research is on East Asian international relations transnational immigration and political economy in China and India uh, she's the author of a brand new book uh, Belt and Road, State Mobilized Globalization in China, uh, 1998 to 2018. That book is out, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's, just, it's just come out, um, and I imagine we'll be hearing something from that, from that uh, uh, today. Uh, previous books uh, include Diasporas and Foreign Direct Investment in China and India, and The Making of Northeast Asia. Um, she was recently selected as the Rosenberg Scholar of East Asian Studies at Suffolk University, and I believe today's talk is going to be based on the work that uh, Professor Ye did while holding that position. Um, she has a long history of association with us here at the Fairbanks Center. She was a China and the World Postdoctoral Fellow uh, at the Center uh, a decade ago. Um, she uh, continues to be very involved, continues to mentor um, visiting fellows in the Harvard Yanjing Visiting Scholars Program. Uh, um, uh, Min and I are both um, fellows of the Public Intellectual Program of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, uh, and uh, she's, uh, uh, I, can, I can speak from personal experience because I'm also a member of that program. She's an exemplary member uh, of that program, sharing her expertise, uh, uh, contributing to the public discourse. Um, so, without further ado, let me turn things over. Welcome, uh, Professor Ye. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I, I want to uh, start by thanking the Fairbank Center. Uh, it's, uh, it's been so important to so many people uh, in Boston, around the globe, in the last uh, decades, right? Uh, but now they're during the, the, uh, the, the pandemic and Zoom era, you guys are becoming even more useful and, uh, and more impactful. Uh, I've been attending to all these uh, meetings uh, lately and uh, benefiting a lot from these online programs you, you guys are putting together. So I want to thank Michael Zoni, Dan Murphy and uh, Mark Grady and other colleagues at the uh, uh, Fairbank Center for, for making this extra uh, uh, work to help us stay connected and share our, our research and scholarship um, uh, in this time. So uh, my uh, talk today uh, is a, a continuation of uh, my long-term research on China and globalization and my more immediate uh, uh, past uh, work on the uh, Belt Road Initiative. Right? Um, uh, so, uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's focusing on the two most controversial things perhaps in US-China relations, that is the Belt Road and the COVID-19. So, 
try to put them together. Um, and, and before I, uh, uh, I have, I prepared uh, a formal slides uh, because there are uh, a lot of information that I want to convey. Uh, and, and in the case I don't convey well, you guys have the slides to go back to uh, uh, in the in the audio and recordings. Um, uh, but I, I, so before I share my slides uh, on the screen soon, uh, I uh, want to make uh, uh, three uh, points, uh, reflections uh, uh, to begin with. Uh, number one, um, uh, you, you all know that we are at a very uh, delicate and very difficult time. Um, so this is the time that's very important to study China. But it's also a time that is very inconvenient to study China. Uh, not only we cannot travel uh, bilaterally, uh, but also the, the kinds of mistrust and uh, hostility uh, that permeates at the, uh, the top political level and then cut across uh, uh, subnational levels and including uh, scholars, actors. That really makes uh, doing research very difficult and you know, studying China is becoming very difficult these days. So, so I, I hope uh, uh, today I can show some shortcuts, <laughs> some uh, thinkings, you know, uh, we can't go there and we perhaps won't have very good access, but there are ways to, uh, to, to find, uh, to, to analyze and to discover uh, what Chinese is thinking, um, are thinking, many of them think differently, uh, and what actions are going on in, in China. Um, the second point I, I want to make uh, is really we are uh, overwhelmed with information on, on China uh, these days. In fact, I think it's too many, um, uh, and there's so many. It, we are or inundated by these new information, news reports, and uh, commentaries, opinion pieces. Uh, but lots of them, um, I wouldn't say lots, but some of them are really flat false. Uh, and I, in my classrooms, I, I see students quoting from these titles and uh, even in the text, it, it rejected the title, but nonetheless, that, that uh, uh, false information uh, conveyed uh, uh, and, and penetrates to, to, uh, to, the, to the readers. Um, and a, a lot of them uh, are based on uh, accurate but partial facts, right? And so it, they do not fail, uh, they do not convey the complexity uh, and uh, a relatively complete uh, picture of things uh, in China. And so I want to use today both the BRI and the COVID in a really complex, controversial uh, uh, subjects, and to see how we can get some. Uh, continuity uh, in China's policy making and uh, the complexity of the Chinese uh, uh, state system. And the last point is, uh, as I have worked on Asian politics and Chinese uh, political economy uh, over the years, I, I always underscore uh, that in, in these countries, policy making is really a process uh, for us to evaluate the outcome. Um, uh, the adoption is not nearly the half of the story. Um, and so, uh, uh, so you, we have, like when we look at things in China, we have this political rhetoric 
by leaders, and then you have policy, uh, these these documents you can look at. Uh, but none of those are really capture the main the, the the main dynamics or to evaluate the outcome of the policy, and that is implementation. And in China, in China, implementation has the life of its own. Okay. So uh, again, uh, I want to underscore that that policy analysis in China has to be process focused and has to be focused on the actors and actions uh, on the ground. And with that, uh, I will uh, share my uh, screen with you guys um, on the on the talk that I prepared for today. So. Um, today, the, the question is uh, very topical. Uh, will, will China's project of the century uh, adapting or, or achieving? And it's based on materials just happening now in the last few months. So some of the observations are, are, are directional, not definitive. Um, and I want to uh, show uh, with the first uh, a number of slides uh, that, that uh, the discourses on the BRI and COVID so far are very skeptical. Right? Uh, and this is a new uh, uh, publication in foreign policy um, that the uh, nice uh, uh, photo and it shows that the changes to rest on the new Silk Road. So basically it's highlighting how public opinions, uh, societal um, uh, mistrust, animosity toward the Chinese workers and business are growing. And, and then this one uh, is drawn from a study by the Center on Foreign Relations. It, it talks about uh, the fragilities, problems in the BRI uh, project, uh, the, the pandemic really unveiled these, these difficulties and, and making the um, uh, uh, other countries recognize this vulnerability. Again, skeptical of its future trajectory. And some of the regional newspapers uh, have a lot more, and, and, and I'll just use a couple. Uh, that Hindustan uh, in India uh, talked about COVID slows uh, Belt Road push, correct? Uh, and Nikkei reports that Pakistan moves to save face uh, as co coronavirus hits Belt and Road, and you can see this sour face on both the leaders of the two countries, uh, again, correct? Uh, Bloom, uh, Bloomberg reported um, uh, Italy uh, the relationship with China is chilling and uh, Italy uh, is uh, the first G7, like the only G7 country who signed on the, um, uh, the, the BI right? um, and with the coronavirus that's, that, that tie is being challenged um, and Bloomberg also uh, uses uh, images to show that uh, firms Projects are being slowed, stopped, and slashed by the uh, by the coronavirus. Um, and, and and lastly, um, uh, China-based newspapers uh, would report the same. And the Southern uh, China Morning Post uh, uh, shows that these projects are, are organ uh, constructed by Chinese uh, companies uh, are, are, are facing roadblocks. So these are all 
um, uh, very uh, correct uh, images. Um, and I, I, what I want to show here today is uh, um, that's that the, the complete uh, picture uh, is different from the images, like the slices, the snapshots uh, uh, could tell you. Um, so what I uh, want to do here is, is a study um, based on China and using Chinese materials. Uh, I uh, systematically uh, try to answer these two questions. Uh, the first one is how do Chinese uh, policy communities, like people who are uh, policy advisors, who have inputs on the policy making process, um, you know, the policy communities, how they talk about China's BII and its future globalization. Uh, following the COVID-19. Uh, and how do Chinese actors respond to the COVID-19 in the context of BRI? To what extent they kind of forget about the BRI or to what extent they are, um, they are saving uh, the BRI and to what extent they are expanding, ending new, uh, new, new things in the BRI. Um, uh, uh, again, the, the, the materials uh, are all in Chinese um, and available on different agencies, think tanks and uh, online newspapers, online platforms uh, from January to April 2020. Okay, um, so as uh, uh, Michael said that I do have a, a new book, it, it came out in February um, and because of the, the COVID it shipped out uh, later than it, it should be. So uh, some of the some of you may have purchased it and didn't receive it, and that, that's, that's a COVID effect. Um, but the, the, the reason I bring this uh, book here, uh, not to publicize the book, of course I want to publicize the book, uh, but the main thing is this book uh, studies COVID, uh, studied BRI before COVID, so BC, uh, uh, from uh, 2013 all the way to 2018. And I believe that uh, the COVID AC after uh, the BI uh, AC after COVID uh, is la largely shaped that by the dynamics that I uh, discover in the BI before COVID-19, right? So what a dynamic that I demonstrate in this book. Uh, in, 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 in one sentence, is, uh, the China's BI is really by China and for China. Uh, I think uh, outside observers imposed a lot more uh, ambition um, and expectations on it and forgot about how it started in China in the first place and how it was implemented by Chinese actors uh, in the last seven years. Right? So that's what the story that I will um, uh, report to you and then continue with what happened uh, in, the, in, the, in, in 2020, the few years when we were all fighting the, the, the pandemic. Um, so going back to the uh, BRI before COVID, uh, 2013, late 2013, it was announced. So what were the drivers? Why China promoted this, this, this BRI strategy? And, and I uh, uh, observed three uh, causal links that were going on um, uh, in, in 2013. Uh, one is a strategic motivation. Um, at the time, China's relationship 
relationship with the United States was very bad. So now we know that China-U.S. relationship was, is, is very bad, and we kind of think that the past is, 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 was good. But it was not good. It was, it was very bad, and the Chinese was not prepared and feeling rather um, incompetent in dealing with uh, the animosity and also the encirclement that the, the U.S. managed to rally in the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, 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 framework. Uh, it, it's, it, it was excluding China and also a very large surrounding China. Um, so to the escalate or to avoid escalation of U.S.-China rivalry uh, in 2012 and 2013, and the Chinese uh, strategic uh, communities uh, was talking about the China Goes West strategy, right? Uh, so it's a it's strategic shift of China's uh, uh, focus from maritime Asia, that is China's relationship with the United States, Japan, Southeast Asia, right, that's maritime Asia, to the Western side, that's uh, the Chinese own uh, 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 territory, and to Central Asia and to Europe. So China goes West. So if a strategic emphasis going to the West, then the Chinese competition with the US allies in the maritime Asia could be uh, uh, deflected. And that was uh, the uh, driver behind the Silk Road Economic Belt announced by President Xi um, in, um, in, uh, Indonesia, uh, in, in uh, Kazakhstan in September 2013. The second uh, motivation uh, was a, a diplomatic one because the Chinese diplomats who operated in, uh, in Asia, uh, in East Asia, Southeast Asia, they had to deal with very contentious regional relations. Um, so for years, they tried to find common ground uh, uh, try to provide incentives for cooperation with uh, with regional neighbors. Um, the infrastructure diplomacy was already uh, being implemented, and mutual connectivity uh, that concept was was being proposed. And those again got incorporated into the maritime Silk Road uh, component. Um, the last one uh, uh, is the, the Chinese domestic economy. Um, we, we now know that China uh, implemented a very aggressive stimulus plan in 2008. People wonder why they didn't do it this time, right? Um, that's because in 2008, the stimulus plan was not very good. Uh, it, it created a major uh, 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 industrial capacity um, in, in China from 2011 to 2013. And it's like all the industries large proportions of their capacity was in excess. What, what could they do? Um, because the SOEs uh, and uh, employment to the Chinese political social stability was essential. So the Chinese um, the, uh, economic technocrats, uh, they, they, they proposed the Chinese Marshall Plan. Right? So to use Chinese financing to um, uh, and buy uh, 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 to a foreign governments and to to buy uh, Chinese uh, products and also to do uh, transnational uh, construction development so that it, it creates uh, demands for for Chinese uh, uh, capacity. 
So the so in the um, in in the BRI action plan uh, uh, passed by the uh, NDRC in Beijing, uh, largely focused on this uh, capacity cooperation uh, efforts. And so these three uh, motivations uh, would be quite different from. Uh, external uh, uh, expectation of China's motivation to dominate the the uh, the region or the world. Rather, it's it's rooted in China's own imperatives to address strategic tension with the United States to find uh, incentivized cooperation with neighbors and also to uh, find overseas uh, economic uh, markets for its goods and the capacity. Right? But that's just a uh, one aspect of story, as I said, uh, policy adoption is not as half important as implementation. Right? And so in, in China, and then when we look at the implementation, so the, 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 in the book I focus on 2014 to 2017 implementation, and what we find are um, the bureaucracies, uh, the agencies, that the, uh, the dozens of ministries, uh, and then the different bureaus in these ministries, they were um, uh, concretizing and developing their uh, pre-existing policy ideas. They were in implementing many pre-existing projects. Um, and some of the new projects were also being uh, uh, rolled out in the, in the BRI's name. And then local governments uh, in, interpreted and implemented the BRI uh, uh, that suit their local needs. And since local governments, they have their own uh, different priorities and, and uh, capacity. Okay? So these uh, BRI projects that local governments conducted are quite different uh, across uh, the, the cities. So in the in my research, I compared uh, Chongqing in Western China and Ningbo in Eastern China and Wenzhou in Southeastern China. And these, uh, for China people, we know these are very different uh, localities uh, and uh, the, the, the projects, um, they, they uh, uh, advertise or they, they improvise uh, their BRI projects are certainly done by different kinds of actors, have different uh, 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 developmental uh, outcome. Um, and I won't go into the details, uh, but, but those uh, are important actions uh, that for outside observers to, uh, to, 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 uh, to pay attention. That's how uh, things are, are being done in, in China. Companies uh, and other actors uh, did uh, the same. And so they leverage on the uh, strategy to uh, expand their own globalization. So before um, uh, the, the COVID uh, uh, outbreak, uh, right, and from my, uh, uh, the ending in, in my uh, uh, book, there is a phase called from Summit 1 in 2017 and Summit 2 in 2019. That actually is a very interesting phase in the BRI history. Um, this phase, we see moderation and soft BRI was uh, surging. And, and, and many uh, 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 economic observers uh, of, of BRI and uh, China's outbound investment 
assessments um, of, of these years will see will show this this graph right from the graph we see that um, uh, uh, China's outbound investments reached a high point in 2017. The uh, white line is uh, by um, American uh, based uh, China Global Investment Tracker that only. Uh, uh, accounts for these major large investment projects um, and by Ministry of Commerce, that's a blue line. But in, in, in those in, uh, indicators, the, the drop in China's outbound investment uh, starting in 2017, uh, it, it, it was very clear. So uh, people kind of use this as evidence to demonstrate failing of the of the BRI. Um, so I, I, I see this as differently uh, because I think uh, uh, the policy actually demonstrates how policy uh, action and reaction works. Uh, um, so in uh, 2017, right, so she uh, she, uh, President Xi's remark at the uh, first summit uh, on the BI summit was very ambitious, right? So basically, uh, uh, he he characterized the strategy as a project of the century and pledged uh, uh, billions or billions of larger projects. And when you sum them up, that's like more than one trillion investment pledge from, from China. And I think that there are two drivers uh, behind uh, this ambition by President Xi. Um, uh, one is... Uh, the, the, the mobilization, the, the domestic uh, support, right? I, I just uh, showed that, that uh, inside China, um, the, the central, the local, the commercial, these actors were all um, uh, trying and uh, 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 support and implement projects in the name of BRI. So this kind of bow boosted President Xi's confidence uh, in this in this. Uh, strategy, but also outside China, um, the United States abandoned um, uh, abandoned the uh, uh, um, it's uh, the, the TPP, um, and also the U.S. was more or less absent on the global stage. So it gave him this vacuum as well. Um, but it, th this ambition, once he made the announcement, and this ambition, and it resulted in two uh, reactions uh, outside as well, outside and inside as well. Uh, inside China, the um, there's uh, economic technocrats, right, so the regulators became concerned that things are going to go out of control. Right? So, so they implemented tightened regulatory um, uh, conditions for, for uh, making overseas finance and, and uh, investing abroad. So there is domestic tightening. And then outside, uh, the, the United States uh, uh, allied with Japan, uh, Australia, India, those are the core quad grouping, and they begin to offer real alternative uh, project bids to some of these BI uh, projects. Right? Uh, so when, when a project in uh, Sri Lanka or uh, Cambodia, they, they uh, uh, are open for bid, then the Chinese bids, and then they, the, the, the Japanese or the Indian, uh, they will counter bid. Right? So you have the demand supply uh, 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 interaction 
So, but that that works uh, well actually. So that results uh, to uh, results in moderation in uh, the BRI strategy in, uh, in summit uh, number two. Right. So in uh, April two thousand nineteen, uh, Xi Jinping uh, the remark on the BRI uh, basically talked about sustainable development and uh, folding the BRI under the United Nations Sustainable Development Agenda. Uh, framework. And then the agency is the Ministry of Finance and the NDRC, which is the Industrial uh, Super uh, Ministry. Uh, so they begin to incorporate these concerns and, uh, and pass the uh, sustainable financing uh, framework and the Green Energy Action Plan. Uh, and and uh, uh, going down, then we find that there are more soft uh, BRI projects begin to emerge. Uh, I, I, uh, uh, here I mentioned health and digital BRI. And, and again, digital BRI, there, there are lots of um, hyper uh, uh, perception on the digital BRI that's just, just not in the origin of the digital BRI in China. Uh, so I use uh, health as a as a, a simple illustration of how the soft BRI emerges, right? um, and they they are lasting. Uh, uh, it, it started in two thousand fifteen. The uh, state uh, ministry of public health and the planning commission they uh, uh, came up with a three year action plan. Uh, and then 2016, uh, the health forum uh, was held, and uh, President Xi uh, gave a speech and officially launched the health BRI. Um, but more importantly, it shows. So at the forum, you see these scientists, specialists attending, uh, but it, it also did the surveys. Um, and it showed industry that are interested in doing this more collaboration and the number of industries, I won't go through them here today. Um, and in 2017, the BRI Health Cooperation Networks was, uh, was constructed. Um, and here on the top right, uh, I um, give an image on, on this third uh, annual uh, forum on health BRI and that was held in uh, uh, September 2019. And so this soft uh, the BRI uh, was ongoing before COVID, and I think it's uh, going to be more influential after COVID. Right? Um, so the, the COVID-19 was really uh, 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 was really an exogenous shock. Um, and, and, and so there are two types of narratives, and again, both are correct, right? Uh, to the left, this image captures uh, one belt, one road, one virus, uh, essentially uh, the capturing uh, that the BRI, the roots or the connectivity with China uh, are becoming the transmitters of this uh, pandemic uh, from China to different places. Um, and this, this, of course, is very popular uh, discourse uh, image uh, in uh, outside China. And then on the right, um, it's also, uh, it shows that uh, when, the, when, the, when uh, a, a diseased globe and then 
these uh, connectivities built by um, BRI are transporting medical supplies and different kinds of uh, uh, equipment from China to elsewhere and vice versa. So it's, it's kind of the, the connectivity helps uh, the globe uh, come back to, uh, the, the coronavirus uh, uh, together. Right? So more positive versus more, more negative uh, characterization. Uh, I think both, of course, held some truth to it. Uh, what, what I want to uh, show here today is in my research, uh, I, I focus on uh, how the Chinese policy actors think about the issue. And in the policy communities, and based on my uh, years of research and hang out uh, with uh, think tanks, people in Beijing and, uh, and elsewhere in China, um, are the following. So these leading scholars who have various advisory roles in the government and participating, joining uh, policy discussions uh, in the government. And think tank uh, uh, scholars, uh, uh, the uh, traditional ones who have BRI projects and spin-offs, and you also have this new uh, think, uh, BRI, uh, exclusive uh, BRI think tanks emerging uh, in Beijing, Shanghai, and different uh, uh, other, other uh, cities in China as well. So they write policy briefs. Um, they also uh, publish, the, the scholar, they publish a uh, Proliferally, uh, in, um, uh, in in major news outlets uh, in in China, in China you also have track two, um, these business representatives, bureaucracies, local governments. Um, so, in, in, so in the past few years, the summer I always spent uh, in China, and and you you do see very vibrant policy discussions um, in the in, in major cities. And uh, so, if you are a Chinese looking like me and speak fluent Chinese and have friends, you can actually uh, just uh, go and listen in. Uh, sometimes you ask me for my opinion. Most of the time I just uh, listen and observe. Uh, the, the point is in China, we do have a very vibrant uh, uh, policy communities and the research market and the types of analysts, researchers around in China are just uh, uh, very large in quantities. And, and, and Weibo and WeChat, in fact, are now uh, commentaries are becoming uh, influential in policy debates. Some of these uh, um, uh, uh, bloggers have like millions of followings, and uh, I was told that these followings, uh, bloggers, their viewpoints have, uh, have, are being uh, incorporated in policy consideration. So what... The, the contents show. Um, I see three groups, and going back to our uh, uh, drivers uh, of COVID uh, of BRI in 2013, right? Um, so the first groups, as shown among the policy actors, are the pessimists, right? Um, uh, the, the pessimists because they study US China relations. It will be very hard to be not pessimist nowadays if you're. Korea has been on U.S.-China relations. Um, so they, they see U.S.-China uh, competition uh, entered an uh, uh, irreversible uh, low point. And, and you can't do much. And, and so what the, the best hope is, uh, is just uh, 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 de-escalate potential uh, uh, rivalry. 
So they're open to alternative diplomacy and strategic dialogues. And the optimists in China, uh, they are younger uh, and they work on uh, mostly think tank scholars and have their official institutional venues to advocate for their uh, uh, policy stances. Uh, they ask China to be, and they predict China to be uh, a global leader, uh, at least in public health, technology, and crisis management. And the last groups are uh, are more diverse, and these are pragmatists. So they see that the, the, the COVID-19 uh, creates very severe uh, health and uh, economic challenge to China. So what can you do? And they, they view that China has to save itself, but to be able to succeed, succeed in saving itself, China actually has to save the world. Right? Um, so it's a pragmatism uh, to uh, uh, drive China's uh, global uh, behavior, but, but not the ambition to, to seek a global leadership. Um, and uh, that, that's the difference between the pragmatists uh, advocates versus uh, optimists advocates. And the last uh, part is on the action. Um, so again, it's, it's ongoing and lots of things are happening in China, but to what extent these things are, uh, will be extended to the BRI is dependent on how the, the BRI regions and how the world uh, recover from the pandemic. So I'll just point to a couple of things. One, at the national level in China, there are two things that are, are, are being rolled out. Uh, one is an e-commerce experiment zone. So it, it started in 2015, and there were five. Uh, and, uh, and the share of international trade by e-commerce was very low in 2015. But in 2019, in China, there was 59 uh, e-commerce experiment zone. And the share of e-commerce trade in its international trade volume was uh, the, 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 the similar uh, share as the uh, processing trade. Right? So it's a traditional trade, processing trade, and e-commerce trade. So in, in four years, um, the e-commerce has, has uh, taken over the, the decline in the processing trade in, in China. Um, and now with predicted decline in processing trade, so this year the e-commerce trade was being boosted and just uh, um, earlier uh, in April, uh, they announced uh, another 49 uh, uh, e-commerce experiment zone. So basically covering the whole China. And uh, uh, the Ministry of Commerce recently also announced to, um, to, to establish these logistics centers uh, in industrial parks along the, the BRI and beyond uh, to facilitate uh, uh, e-commerce international trade. The second one came from the, um, the, the NDRC, right? So the new infrastructure planning uh, that was in place before the COVID, now it's got, uh, got bigger 
boost. So it's focusing on smart city, uh, 5G, artificial intelligence, um, supercomputing, right? Uh, but since uh, uh, NDRC's uh, main target is uh, uh, companies and local governments, so there are uh, uh, local governments' efforts to propose uh, new types of internet-enabled uh, infrastructure and uh, services um, in, in the localities. Uh, and I, uh, I'm sure this, uh, the, the, uh, the Chinese would have overcapacity very soon and would, uh, would like to expand uh, globally, but it depends how, what types of technology might have uh, more possibility uh, in, the, in the BRI. So for example, Smart City by Alibaba has been uh, um, uh, uh, doing several projects in Southeast Asia. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, the 5G is, is clearly the next uh, uh, project as well. Uh, local governments following my earlier research, um, then I find uh, Shanxi, uh, Xi'an is the starting point of the, of the Super Road Economic Belt, uh, and they are making the new BRI action plan. And in this plan, automation digital railways um, uh, is, is quite aggressive. Um, so it kind of ties to the new infrastructure planning passed by the center. In Jiangsu province, uh, we know Jiangsu, it's really strategic local uh, uh, government, and they do, they, they did uh, its internal industrial zones very well. And uh, uh, in the last seven years, they, they, they've been doing overseas uh, special economic zones. So when the COVID occurred, they basically tried to uh, try to um, uh, uh, save these these zones, and I, I don't know whether uh, what will happen the, the, uh, in the next phase. The um, SOEs has been the main actors uh, in implementing. Uh, BRI in the past few years uh, when COVID-19 occurred. So they try to save their supply chains, they try to do prevention and to uh, uh, revive this project. But they, they, uh, their projects are out of control of their own. Right? So I, I, I think as we move, move forward, uh, SOE's role will be important, but new things might not come from SOE's directly. Last point, is a scientist. I find the scientists um, uh, actually are, are, are turning uh, to the, the, the BRI regions uh, very significantly. So I'll show a couple examples, given that we are um, uh, as a science kind of social scientists um, and educators. Right? So these are scientists and soft BRIs. And again, uh, the, the Chinese scientists and uh, universities, of course, uh, uh, have much more collaborations with uh, the United States and, and uh, advanced Europe and Japan, right? Uh, but, but since in the last few years under the bracket of the BRI, the scientists and are also developing very uh, robust ties with BRI uh, uh, regions and countries. Right? So I um, uh, introduced the health BRI, but um, there are a couple more. So ANSO um, is uh, led by the CAS, you know, Chinese Academy of Science. 
and uh, it, it's the Alliance of International Science Organizations. Uh, in 2019, uh, they had uh, about 70 institutional members from 20 nations. Um, and so when the COVID-19 occurred, they, they, uh, they made joint statements and held online conferences. Um, the uh, Science Innovation Consulting uh, in the Belt uh, Road region, that was led by Shanghai Jiao Tong University. Right? Um, and they started in 2016 uh, and held summits in 2017 um, and now had 20 country members. And, uh, and uh, in this year, uh, they held uh, uh, online conferences uh, to share Shanghai's experience in encounter COVID. Uh, and also, because Shanghai sent uh, medical teams to Wuhan, build a field hospital in Wuhan, so they can also invite this uh, Wuhan uh, hospital uh, representatives to, uh, to show how the protocol and how the process mechanism was done. Um, the, uh, Bremia, uh, it's a China Medical Science University uh, based in, in, in Shenyang, also leveraged on the, uh, the BRI and launched uh, um, uh, uh, the Bremia. So it's a uh, BRI Medical Education Alliance uh, in 2018. Uh, I was just doing really online research on this Bremia and find that they are um, soliciting uh, programs to do remote education um, uh, uh, across the BI countries and, and trying to create some uh, uh, pedagogy innovations uh, because we are we are uh, educators, so it's it's quite interesting to to observe. Okay, so I'll end with uh, uh, the. Um uh, the, the, the final remarks. Uh, one is, uh, I, I think uh, the world has, is changing, uh, but the, the geopolitical order uh, and calculation in, 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 in terms of China and its world has not uh, changed much in terms of types of strategic motivation, diplomatic motivation, economic motivation in China in 2013 and today um, uh, are the same. Right. Uh, but there will be important adjustments. That's because the demand for what kind of projects uh, uh, in the BRI, in the recipients will have changed. And uh, the ability and uh, the desirability in China has also changed. So the, the, so the adjustment must be made uh, to fit new realities. And I also feel like most uh, um, uh, 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 not confident on my finding is on actions. So I can point to the direction Actions, but I don't know how that's going. Right? What actors are being uh, incorporated in the health uh, 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 circle road? What actors, what are the activity in the growing networks among scientists? Uh, in particular, on the rightist um, figure, uh, I know China is doing this e-commerce led offline, online, a new supply chain uh, uh, re-industrialization. Re Right. Uh, but I, I don't know how they are being implemented by companies, what companies, in what localities. And, and so I'm missing out lots of actions going on in China. And I will uh, end here that if we don't want to miss out what's going on in China, uh, we have to go to China. Right. So hopefully the pandemic can end soon, allow us to do that. Thanks. 
Thank you so much, uh, Professor Ye, for that uh, really uh, fascinating and comprehensive account of how uh, one of the central foreign policy initiatives, if not the central foreign policy initiative of the 21st century, is is being affected by this by this global crisis. Um, so your your question, your your talk poses a question whether. Um, uh, COVID-19 will lead to the adaptation or the atrophying of uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. Let me just tell you that the voice from our audience is clear. Um, I have 20 questions uh, that have been posted, 17 of which are actually questions about BRI rather than about BRI and COVID. So clearly the sense of the room or the virtual room is that uh, is in line with your own idea, which is that, that given that the basic motivations are steady, the issue is going to be how BRI is going to adapt. At least that's the assumption I take from the, the fact that the vast majority of the questions are about, about, about BRI, which of course you're also an expert on, uh, and, and, and uh, so there's no reason not to pose those questions. But I think I'm going to start with um, a couple of questions more specifically targeted at the subject of your talk which is what are the consequences of the current situation for, what are the likely consequences for the, the current situation? Before I do that, let me also just uh, absolutely endorse uh, the, the, the comment that you made at the end, which is that to understand China, we need to go to China. Uh, we do that in a different way now. We hope that uh, our academic exchanges and collaborations will be restored very, very soon. But uh, the idea that we can study this extraordinary society um, from a distance uh, using, using only English language materials, for example, is just, is just nonsense. So let me start the questioning off with, with a, a somewhat provocative way of, of, of looking at the question. Um, so one can make the argument that Belt and Road Initiative at the moment, basically since, since it became clear that she was, Xi Jinping was hugely committed to it, it's basically just a synonym for Chinese foreign policy. That China's global activities are all being uh, uh, wrapped under this rubric of, of Belt and Road, and you can see why it's advantageous for different actors to call their global initiatives BRI. You can see how it's advantageous for actors within the Chinese government to frame anything they're doing as BRI. So you've defined BRI much more narrowly, right, in terms of an explicit set of policies that are labeled as such. If you adopt the broader definition, that is to say BRI is simply a catchphrase for China in the world today. Mm -hmm. How does that affect your answer to the question? That is to say, is, is COVID-19, well, it, well, it, well, you, 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 well, I think you see my point, right? So that if we think about BRI as a, as a broader phenomenon, what are, its, what are the implications for, for China's presence in the world? Mm -hmm. yeah. Or at least in the foreign policy, in the in the think tank and policy communities in China. What's the thinking? Yeah, oh, that's a, um, a excellent uh, uh, point. Uh, I I, uh, I I actually I have different levels of understanding of the of the BI. Uh, I I do think uh, I I see it more as China and globalization. Right. Um, uh, 
so it, it, uh, to me, it's a globalization strategy more than foreign policy. Uh, but if we can also say foreign policy is a part of the globalization or globalization is part of foreign policy. Right? Uh, so that's why to, to make it more explicit, then I see you have the strategic component uh, that is creating something that's different from the United States. And you have the diplomatic components uh, that, that, that is develop something um, uh, uh, that the U.S. is not part of. So if we want to define the BRI, I, I think almost again, uh, all but America, right? AB, ABA perhaps is a more, more precise. Um, uh, and, and, and precise because of it, it's China's involvement in the, in the world. So, so I feel like I pose a question like atrophying is a false one, but you can't really eliminate uh, China in the world. That, that's ongoing. Uh, but to make the research like more uh, tangible, then I would say you, know, you, you want to look at the, the specific content and the content will be changing. Right? Um, and I, the, the second point I want to make is uh, um, uh, China's foreign policy is domestic policy. It's domestic politics. So, so I think uh, the way ahead, uh, it, it's very likely like what areas that China uh, can extend uh, globally. Right? Um, uh, so, so it, it becomes extension of domestic politics. And then my take on this, of course, is not the common one because most of people will think this as a, as a, a kind of exclusive, uh, uh, but, but from a domestic point, uh, if we study China on its own ground, uh, I would just say China does not have an exclusive foreign policy. It, it's more domestic uh, uh, priorities and how that project externally and how that reacts and adapt to external changes. So it's still China is the China that makes, going back to my central point, we have to study China based in China. Um, and then we, we, we can, uh, we can like, kind of go to different directions and see where is feasible when China integrate with, uh, with uh, outside. Great, thank you. The, um, uh, it won't surprise you that a lot of the questions ask you to push beyond the question of how uh, Chinese uh, policy communities are thinking about a post-COVID BRI. Yeah. People want to know what is the post-COVID BRI going to look like? So I'm going to ask a couple of questions framed around that, acknowledging that that is actually a little bit beyond what you what you were proposing to talk about. So um, Grant Road, our colleague uh, uh, from BU and uh, the Naval War College asks, uh, following the COVID-19 recovery, so we begin, thank you, Grant, for a somewhat an, uh, an optimistic take. Uh, following the recovery, do you think China and BRI will come out further ahead or behind in the EU, China, Russia, US competition for great power in, in for great power influence in Europe specifically, perhaps mm -hmm. with some comparison of EU states with Western Balkan non-EU states? Mm -hmm. um, have China's health supplies to Europe in the context of COVID enhanced China's position in uh, ways that will endure? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, so that's a very good uh, question. Um, I will uh, make uh, perhaps uh, two comments. Uh, one is uh, existing projects, right? So, so far there are projects that, uh, that, that are already uh, financed by Chinese uh, financial banks, right? different banks, and uh, either done by uh, these local governments and SOEs. Um, so these bigger projects, um, they are ongoing and they were uh, they were kind of paused by the COVID-19. And wrapped in these projects is also financing debt, um, debt repayment and supply chain outputs. Right? So there's several issues. I think uh, these existing actors will have a busy time renegotiating. Uh, renegotiating with uh, with a partner governments and uh, partner financiers because these are right? So these are Chinese uh, banks lending to Chinese companies, lending to foreign governments to buy, buy Chinese products down by Chinese uh, companies. Um, so so I I think the Chinese. Uh, uh, people who are involved in the BI so far will have, will be very busy renegotiating these deals. The second element is a new new project. Right? So the COVID did raise uh, calls for gaps in public health, in digital economy, um, in crisis management. Uh, so they, these are the, the, the new, new projects uh, that China is uh, uh, developing and also also has strengths, but so far have not been dominating the BI collaboration. I think there'll be negotiation on these uh, new, new, new projects in line with uh, with health, sustainable development. Uh, I imagine uh, if the uh, uh, China uh, relationship with a partner uh, uh, governments being good, um, uh, including the the ones with South Asia and Southeast Asia, because China has a, a long term. Uh, 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 political relationship in these regions and and the, the linkages work re- relatively well. So I can see that there will be this ongoing uh, mutually penetration negotiation to rearrange some of this debt or some of the packages in older project to the new project. So that will be will, will be uh, uh, adaptation that, that we'll see in, in Asia mainly. So Europe will be a very complicated uh, issue. Europe, uh, in the recent two years, uh, China's relationship with old Europe is really challenged a lot. Uh, but China's relationship with uh, North Europe, and so there's uh, Nordic uh, uh, Europeans who were not major partners of China, actually attracted lots of new technology projects and investments. I think that will stay. And then Europe also has uh, Balkans. And there's a, that, that part will be uh, challenging because they they, they don't have the kinds of social understanding with China, uh, and they also do not share the same kinds of economic strategic interests with Western Europe. So I see Europe actually uh, will be uh, really divided in the, in the question on, on China, and they will have a harder time uh, uh, benefiting from this, uh, this, this adaptation than the, the Southeast Asia and the, the Asians uh, in China's neighborhood. Thank you. You mentioned just now repackaging debt. We've got a number of 
questions about debt, and I'm going to try and consolidate the questions okay. from uh, Ihao Lee, a doctoral student at Harvard, from uh, Melissa Lefkowitz, uh, uh, an, an alumnus of their alumna of the RSEA program. Hi, Melissa, and Evan Sao, and ask the the cur ask the, the following question, which I think gathers all of their questions together. Under the pandemic, uh, many countries that are uh, have 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 deep connections to BRI are facing severe economic impact. Mm -hmm. We can expect that they will be asking for debt relief. Mm -hmm. um, what's the thinking in China about the, the appropriate way to proceed with debt relief? Uh, mm -hmm. And, and uh, what's the appropriate, what, what's the thinking in China about um, whether uh, issues of debt and debt relief will enhance or weaken China's position in the post-COVID-19 world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, again, very uh, complicated uh, issue. I don't think the Chinese uh, uh, has yet uh, a protocol. Um, they, they perhaps should present a protocol, but uh, being a, a rather, inf uh, being a, a, a country that likes to do case-by-case -case negotiation and the protocol thing will be forced, uh, difficult to, to, to come. Um, so I observe that uh, from based on China's past uh, experience and uh, the ongoing discussions, um, this will be my um, uh, prediction. Uh, uh, one, uh, maybe I'll just uh, say first, I, I think the uh, it's it's a it's a mischaracterization uh, to to argue that countries owe uh, most of BI countries owe most of debt to China. That's just wrong. Right. So Pakistan is a good example. Pakistan only ten percent of the of the of the loans are from China. Right. So ninety percent came from the the uh, the Western sovereign and uh, commercial loans. Uh, um, uh, so when you uh, the the two thousand seventeen, they had a debt repayment issue, and uh, uh, the the Chinese uh, worked with actually actively brought IMF in this in this discussion. So most of the, the debt renegotiation, uh, repayment, rescheduling were done bilaterally and multilaterally. So I, I think this will, will apply to most of uh, projects uh, that is re renegotiating terms. Uh, the concern of so there are two things may happen, but less likely. One is a, a, a complete uh, debt uh, gave up, right? so re uh, re relief. Uh, China only does that to um, very, very poor uh, African countries, like the uh, highly dependent and, and economies, small economies, small loans. That will be clean uh, debt, debt uh, abolishment. And that's very un unusual uh, the process. Uh, two is the possession of collaterals, and that I, I do not think China has uh, has an incentive to possess the collaterals. Um, and so far, we only um, uh, have like in all these quoted debt entrapment uh, uh, discourse, the only case uh, is in Sri Lanka. 
right? Um, uh, but that actually was proposed by Sri Lankans uh, to to give equity in exchange for for debt. So uh, uh, in 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 some, I think it will be renegotiate renegotiating. And if I have to advise uh, the partner uh, governments from China, I I think you just have to work very robustly with the Chinese agencies and partners and let and make sure that the Chinese uh, they uh, they uh, they find bilateral and multilateral means to restructure the loans and to restructure the payment schedule uh, uh, and, and do not politicize the situation further and uh, uh, once the issue is taken out of the hands of the of the professional uh, then, then it will be difficult to resolve. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to try again to combine a couple of questions. Uh, uh, the questions from uh, so I apologize if I'm not if I'm not absolutely getting your question exactly right. We have a, a question from James McDonald, National Security Fellow at the Kennedy School. Ding uh, Jiaying, uh, Phil Autry, uh, and. Uh, uh, well, I'll start. I'll start with those three. Basically, asking about uh, the impact of domestic change on BRI going forward. You, you, to uh, as James notes, you note the significance of domestic politics. Won't there be a move to reprogram funds to take care of domestic revitalization, or won't there be pressure to do that at least? Uh, uh, and then, and then there's a couple of questions specifically interested in the healthcare aspect of this. Mm -hmm. Domestic healthcare priorities policy implementation, institutions are changing due to COVID. How will that shift in the domestic priorities be externalized in the health BRI? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so that's again very good a question. I do not have a, a very clean answer. Uh, one thing is uh, uh, even before COVID, uh, and, and before BRI, what was clear is the Chinese public has no appetite for overseas expenditure. Um, so the, the, the Chinese Marshall Plan actually made very good uh, professional commercial um, uh, sense, but the, the public outcry basically killed it. Right? Um, so I, I, uh, uh, I think this issue will be uh, rather uh, formulated in, by the technocrats in the, the policy communities. And then you have these financiers, the, the China Development Bank, uh, Exim Bank, uh, and their local branches. Right? So, so these, uh, uh, the, the, their involvement is to support uh, Chinese industries and to facilitate their construction, their operation outside. Um, that's not going to go away. Uh, um, so that's why I, I, I argue there's not much appetite for debt relief in China because once it becomes headline of abolishing certain amount of, of, of debt, that became a political issue in, in, in China. But restructuring and that can uh, help certain Chinese re uh, companies recuperate and, uh, and, also, uh, and, and th that's, that's doable. 
Um, I, I, uh, in, in terms of health, I think it's a really industry-led. We, we see the, the professionals, um, the, you, you, the momentous are there. So, uh, for example, the health educators, the medical education institutions, medical researchers, the scientists, that's already doing lots of things. You know, they, are, they, are, they are doing things in Europe, in uh, BRI countries, and also with the United States, but except the relationship with the U.S. is strained these days, so that's ongoing. But to what extent this will become a new, new, new big thing? Right, that really depends on the industry. Um, so the 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 health BRI uh, from its uh, uh, proposition in 2015 to 2019, it did not really achieve a huge deal of progress. Why? Because the industrial, the commercial project were not viable then. So I'm I'm I think now with the COVID. Perhaps it will. So I actually was uh, uh, attending an event uh, reported by a, 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 a professional who worked in Burma. And they say like in Burma, uh, Myanmar, and they used to are not interested in the health sector. Right, the health, uh, the healthcare, health services, um, they, they're not interested. And now they are. Right? So maybe new opportunities uh, in the industry level will be open. Before COVID, those were not open. Uh, it's the ports, the roads, the railways, the power plants that the people like. And now perhaps it's the, it's the medical uh, stuff that, that has more market. Wonderful, thank you. So it's the mark of a great speaker that you answer questions I haven't even yet asked out loud. That was my next question, which was going to come from Joan Kaufman of the Schwarzman, call, of the Schwarzman program. But I think you've, you've already touched on that. We are, we are almost at time. Uh, and so I think I just have time for one more question. Uh, and, I, and I think I'd like to come back to really the focus of your research because we've, we've pushed you very far uh, asking you to make generalizations about, about policy outcomes and not just policy inputs. So this question uh, brings us back to the real focus of your work. Um, it comes from an anonymous attendee. Uh, during the decision process, the decision-making process of BRI, uh, was there any objection or concern on the feasibility of the project in the think tank community? Mm -hmm. we, we, we actually know the answer to that is yes. So the real important question is, do you anticipate uh, difficulties, obstacles in the, in the continuation of this project and the support of the think tank community after COVID-19. So I guess to, to kind of summarize that question, how will COVID-19 reshape the, the, the uh, concerns about BRI in the policymaking and think tank community? Mm. Yeah, that's a very, um, that, that's a very good question. So I, uh, I, uh, I do not have a good answer, but I needed to go to China. <laughs> To, to really see, uh, we see there's uh, numerous uh, directions by which one seem to be uh, picked up, right? So we, we, we know we started China uh, domestic politics and like the think tanks, they do not drive policy outcome directly. They were just uh, giving out a, a, a array of options and uh, see which one got uh, picked up. So, so we, we really needed to, 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 to go, go to China. I think feasibility um, is always a concern, uh, but, but the Chinese system that the state mobilized to globalization, it's a process. They, uh, they do not see the, uh, 
in the process challenges as as the ending or or in the process achievements as ending right so i, I think the the chinese uh, think tanks and the agencies they're actually the same group because they kind of hang out all the time right um so when they 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 they, uh, they, they view these challenges they have the first report on these challenges and then how to resolve that the, the challenges. Um, so in a way, I will end uh, because I know this might be the last remark. But I was uh, uh, reading a, a, a very respected uh, American uh, strategist writing about a grand strategy, and uh, and the idea is in this new era, grand strategy is really not about grand strategy. It, it's about uh, problem solving. Right, so you have a, a, a program ongoing and uh, you encounter lots of problems and it's the professional uh, uh, communities and they work on solving these problems one by one. And I think China is doing that. I'm not sure America is doing that. So living here, I, I actually uh, am quite uh, uh, concerned uh, for America um, for not being able to, uh, I'm sure they are doing that. We just haven't paid much attention to it. But what we know is China is doing it, problem solving in a strategic uh, shift or program or direction or process uh, and here. That was, thank you very much. That was a very delicate uh, way of ending on a note of comparison. Thank you so much, Professor Ye, for a really terrific uh, informative and insightful presentation of really cutting-edge analysis work that you've really been only only able to do for the last couple of months. So uh, thank you very much for 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 this presentation. Thank you to the 200-plus uh, participants we had. I'm I'm so sorry that I couldn't get to all of your questions. I tried to get to as 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 many as you can. It's uh, clear that this is a topic of of great interest. Um, uh, let me just close. Uh, uh, repeat my thanks to Professor Ye, to, to you, let me close by reminding you that we have a number of events upcoming at the Fairbanks Center, which we encourage you to, to join. We are uh, posting as many of our online events online. Uh, many of our, we, are, we are recording as many of our online events uh, as possible. Um, so please do uh, join us again for future events. Uh, and uh, with that, let me uh, close with uh, wishes, best wishes for uh, good health and a swift to all of you and a swift return to uh, a normal life. Thank you all so much.